so Richard mentioned having a bad day. And I want to tell you a story about a friend of mine and how Jesus was with him on the, wor- on the worst day of his life. Father in heaven, I ask for you to enable me to lift up Jesus. Amen. Life is difficult. Kind of an understatement, right? A friend of mine that I went to Walla Walla University with, he and his wife were leaving camp meeting. Do I need to turn this on? Okay. Uh, he and his... his um, He and his wife were leaving camp meeting. They were pastors in Montana. They had two vehicles, three kids. His wife was behind him in a Jeep Cherokee. He was in a pickup in front. And as he was driving, he just kept looking in the rearview mirror to check on his wife and his son, about 11 years old, who were in the Jeep Cherokee behind him. And then there was an accident. And he watched the Cherokee lose control and and roll multiple times. And it ended up, um, it happened actually right at this this little town called Wisdom in Montana. And it ended up, uh, and I'm not gonna stay on this picture because it's pretty stressful. when he got to the, the vehicle, his son was fine, but his wife was not. And she said, my neck is broken. She could tell. There are a lot of things we do that we don't think about, and one of them is breathing. But because of the damage to the spinal cord, he had to stand there and coach her through breathing. Keep breathing. Take a breath. By the time they had called the ambulance, it took the ambulances an hour to get there. And he just told her he loved her. He stayed right beside her. He did not try to get her out of the car because of the neck injury. And he coached her to breathe. When the ambulance came and they extracted her from the car, her from her vehicle, and they transported her to the nearest hospital, Barry and his kids in his truck followed the ambulance. And when they got to the hospital, they took her into surgery and On the worst day of his life, my friend Barry took a piece of paper and he took out a pen and he wrote down a list. Improbably, he wrote down a list of what had gone right. A list of praises to God. First of all, getting her out of the car. The ambulance driver in this small little Montana town had wanted to have the right tool to extract someone from this kind of accident. And he had fundraised in the community and they had had that tool for two weeks. And in the 15 years since the accident, they've never used it again. So they had the tool on the day they had to have it. When they got to the hospital, They had a world-class surgeon to do the surgery that she needed to have to save her life. And that world-class surgeon had outfitted a trauma center in that small little hospital because he grew up in that town, loved the people in that town, and wanted to come back and serve after he had gone, got his world-class training. So... The tool was there that had to be there. And the doctor and the medical 
supplies and training and equipment were there that had to be there. And one more thing, and, and the, his list had many more, but I'm going to only tell you three. It often gets very dry that, during that time of year in Montana, and the catalytic converter was very hot from driving. And the grass would have normally been extremely flab- flammable, but they had recently had a rain, which doesn't normally happen in June, and the grass was green and wet. And that again saved her life. Becky had a partially damaged spinal cord. She had to learn to walk again. Uh, It was a C4 spinal cord injury. And Becky tells the story that um, she knew this was a life-changing event. And she was wondering what her future would be. And one day she was in her hospital room after the surgery And one of her family members was always with her, but on this particular day, they had got hungry, they went down to the cafeteria, and she was in her room by herself. And she started asking Jesus, are you there? Do you see me? Are you with me? Now, I've known her since we were children in Alaska. And I trust her. But she tells me, There was no one in the room, but someone held her hand. My friend Barry said, just when I leave to get some food, and Jesus shows up. Later, Becky developed something that I would never want to have. She calls it burning nerve pain. Going up and down her body, this burning nerve pain. Chronic pain. Pain that doesn't go away. And she was faced with a choice. She could be heavily medicated and in a stupor all the time or she could learn to manage the pain. And she started studying, and she started researching, and she found out about something called neuroplasticity, that our brains are fearfully and wonderfully made, and that where we choose to focus our brains and what we choose to dwell on can actually rewire the brain. And she found out that there are nine areas of the brain that experience pain. And that as she, the word was hunting for the good, as she experienced gratitude and thankfulness and refocused her brain on joyful things and whatever is good and whatever is beautiful and whatever is a good report, that she was able to refocus her brain to manage living with burning nerve pain. And Becky actually now coaches people on how to live with chronic pain. Life is difficult. And it's not only in this life is it physical pain, but it's also emotional pain or spiritual pain. One of the things we noticed during COVID was that Barry and Becky just recently, one of the things we noticed during COVID was the loneliness people were experiencing. And as the doctors studied what effect loneliness had, they said loneliness has the same health effects as smoking does. So there's all kinds of challenges we experience in this life. Today I want you to go for a flight with me and go over the scriptures and I want to touch down on two stories 
in the Bible. People who were in difficult situations. And I want us to look how God saw them and was present with them in their pain. The first one is a young woman who was trapped. Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. What makes this statement ironic is that for Abram and Sarah, Sarai, they had been promised that the Messiah would be born through their family tree and that through them, the whole world will be blessed through them. And then they couldn't get pregnant. It's so amazing to me how often this happened where the solution to, the, to mankind's sin problem was going to come in the form of a baby. The Messiah would be born. And time and time again, they experienced infertility. It was almost like God was trying to tell us something that we need a miracle. We don't need to try real hard. We need to trust real hard, and we need a miracle. And without a miracle, we have no hope. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. In those days, if a woman was not able to have children, it was a, a severe social stigma. And it was, uh, you know, now we can test and we know if it's on the husband's, um, if, if it's his problem or uh, if it's caused somehow in the wife's uh, physical anatomy or, or something. But in those days, it was always blamed on the wife. Real fair, right? And it was also viewed, infertility was also viewed as God's punishment or God's displeasure, that someone must have done something wrong. And so they would be looked at in a, in a bad way. Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. You notice it, even the scripture blames it on her. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. And as she watched Hagar going around their house, healthy and vibrant, an idea started coming in Sarai's mind. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Have you ever accused God of not doing something or doing something? I have. The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now, Sarai had a lot. Of all the women in the Bible, she, the most is said about her physical appearance than any other woman. I mean, she was so beautiful when she was in her 60s that her husband was terrified that someone else was going to kill him and take his wife. And she was taken into two different harems because she and Abram had the little scam going where he would say she was his sister. Sarai was very beautiful. Her husband loved her, and they were very prosperous. Sarai was a very blessed person, but what she wanted most in life she did not have. Perhaps I can build a family through her. There is a human tendency to make things, to want to make things happen. Have you ever tried to help God? Have you ever thought that you needed to help God do what needs to be done? I have. Perhaps I can build a family. There are so many people that I meet who think that salvation is based on what they do instead of their receiving what Jesus has done. Without the cross and our belief in the cross, 
then our, relig- our relationship with God is a relationship of buying and selling. And that's not the kind of relationship God wants to have with us. One of the most profound things I've ever heard is that salvation is not a lot of little do's and don'ts. It's one big done. The cross of Jesus. And we believe it. And then as we receive the salvation and the reconciliation, then the Holy Spirit is going to write God's law on our heart, and he's going to change us. But we don't build a family through what we do. We don't achieve salvation. We can have good desires, but it doesn't work apart from God. So she makes this proposal to her husband, an unusual proposal for a wife to make. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. I want you to picture being around that breakfast table. When he comes up, when she presents this idea, don't you think on some level that she was hoping he would protest? Argue up a little bit, be reluctant. Honestly, ladies, don't you think she, she wanted him to argue and protest? Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan for 10 years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave him to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. Now there is a very strong parallel scripturally between Genesis 16, we're reading this story, and Genesis 3. You remember in Genesis 3, Eve took fruit and brought it to Adam, and he ate it. Here, Sarai brings Hagar to Abram, and he agrees. There's a parallel here. And in both cases, the men are equally accountable. And the men do not show good leadership. The men just go along. There are some people in history who have tried to blame all the sin problem on women, and that is garbage. It's interesting to me that when Adam listened to his wife and when Abram agreed with Sarai, it led to a lot of pain. When we try to help God and our human will, for me it would be my stubborn Germanness, when that becomes part of the equation, it leads to a lot of pain because he is God and I'm not. I'm his child. And I don't tell him what to do, but sometimes I try to. And that always leads to pain because Adam and Eve, their decision has led to pain for how many people? Every human has been touched by that. But how many people have been touched by that decision that Abram and Sarah made. How big a problem is that in this world to this day? How many people are suffering today because of that decision? So it's so important for us to be humble before God. Sometimes we can be very strong-willed. And it's like the scripture says, humble yourself before the, in the eyes of the Lord and he will lift you up. And I think sometimes our pride and our stubbornness and our strong will holds back so many blessings that God can pour into our lives. 
And it also brings so much pain. Hagar was a slave. And what nationality was she? Egyptian. So isn't it interesting that you have religious people having a slave who's from a different nationality? So race enters the equation here. And isn't it interesting that years later, who would be a slave to who? Here you have a Hebrew family owning an Egyptian slave, but years later, all the Hebrews would be slaves to the Egyptians. Have you ever noticed that in life, what goes around comes around? And often, we launch things that provide a trajectory that brings it back onto us. And I'm not talking about karma. The Bible says, as we sow, we reap. Hagar did not have a choice in this matter. She had no agency. Now I want you to picture something. Not too long, but just for a moment. I want you to picture that walk as Sarai walks Hagar to Abram's tent. And then the flap comes up, Hagar goes in, and the flap comes down, and Sarai walks away. How much pain was that night for her? The reason why God wants us to humble ourselves and follow his leading and trust him and not try to do things ourselves and not try to use our stubbornness and our pride and our strong will to force things is because when we do that, it leads to pain for us and for others. Our personalities as human beings, we can have sharp edges sometimes. And the Bible says, let your gentleness be known to everyone. That's a hard one for me. I have to pray for that. I have to pray for a new spirit and a new attitude for that. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Can you, can you read the dynamics going on in this household? She knows she's pregnant. She began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. And one of the inevitable results when we go outside of God's plan and when we try to help God is we will end up blaming someone else for the pain that comes. We always want to find someone to blame. The original victim was Lucifer. And he blamed his rebellion on God. The story of redemption says he presented himself to the angel as one who had been aggrieved. I've been mistreated by God. And that's why his story sold. Be very careful when people want to tell you their victim story. There are times where Bad things happen and we need to have empathy. But be very careful because one, I think one of the most dangerous things we can do as humans is not want to clean up the garbage on our side of the street, but we want to blame other people. Because there's always something we can learn. There's always some garbage on our side of the street. But what we, we as humans want to do, we want to blame someone else. And currents like that run through churches. And it's toxic. And it's poison. Because when we do that, we're not giving grace. And a guest who comes in can sense the temperature. And they can sense the toxicity. And that is why we need to humble our hearts before Jesus. And have him give us grace. Jesus said that they'll know you're my disciples if you love each other because that takes a miracle. We're not up to that. And now Sarai's blaming Abram. 
Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Abram took sides. And Hagar, the girl of a different race, was put in her place. How many times has that happened in our history of our world? People of a different race put in their place. When I was a student missionary on the island of Pompeii, there was another smaller island called Pinglap nearby. And the Pinglapis told the students would tell me they were the minority on Pompeii. Now, if you and I looked at them, we couldn't tell them apart. But they knew. There are only 30,000 people on the island of Pompeii. And Pinglap is even smaller. But they said, if any Pinglapis fought back, you know, so they would be harassed and bullied. But if anyone fought back, then the Pompeians would all call and they'd all come and beat the tar out of them. That's sinful human behavior. And I've heard of that in the early 1900s in America. An old neighbor of mine told me about being in Minnesota and going to a different town, and the kids in that town would beat him up because he wasn't from that town. Human beings do that. Your slave is in your hands. Do with her whatever you think best. What are we like as humans when we have the power to put someone in their place? Are we capable of being cruel? Think of that. Is two ladies sleeping with the same man. How can, can ladies be mean to each other? My wife is a nurse, and she's told me once, she said, Bill, the nurses eat their young. Nurses are wonderful human beings, but sometimes they can be rough on each other. Can you picture the dynamics? And so... Sarai has the power, and she can put her in her place. Let me ask you this. Are you capable of being cruel? If someone's aggravated you, can you be mean and have sharp edges and want to get revenge and hurt them? I can. I have. And I've had to go and kneel at the feet of Jesus and ask his forgiveness and ask him to give me a heart like Jesus. The word mistreated in the Hebrew has a, an allusion to violence. Sarah was beating her. And Hagar fled. So here you have this young, pregnant woman and the situation she's in is so intolerable, she runs away on foot in the desert. How long is a single pregnant woman going to survive in the desert like that? She's, trying to, she's headed back towards Egypt. When we next find her, she's on the road towards Egypt. Is she gonna have, does she have a chance of making it there? None at all. But God became part of the story. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. Did you know that you don't find God? He finds you. The scripture says that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And we can have no proud, I found God. We got found. And we took the hand that was held out to us. But we can have no arrogance. Just a lot of gratitude and praise. He finds us. And one of the best prayers we can pray for those we want to be in heaven someday is, Lord, would you find them? Would you draw them? And would you open them to receiving your help and your grace. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. I want you to stop and think for just a moment in the quietness of your own heart of a time where God found you.
And at that time, how much grace did you need? How desperate was your situation when he found you? Thank you, Lord, for finding me. Thank you for finding me even though I was running away from you. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? We could spend a whole sermon on just that question. Where have you come from and where are you going? God comes asking questions. We, we're afraid of questions. But God comes asking questions. To Adam and Eve, he said, Adam, where are you? To Elijah, he said, what are you doing here? To Jonah, he said, Jonah, do you have a right to be angry? God comes asking questions. And so if you find yourself in a phase of life where you're wrestling with questions, it very well may be that God is coming near to you. He comes asking questions. Where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much they will be too numerous to count. Now I want to be very careful with this because there have been times where as a church we have told wives who are being abused to go back to their abuser. And we shouldn't do that. But what the angel is telling Hagar, first of all, she's not going to survive in the desert without going back. She didn't have other options. But second of all, he told her to go back with a different attitude. Go back to your mistress and submit to her. Go back with a different attitude. So often in life, the attitude we have determines how things go. I had someone this week yell at me on the phone. I don't like being yelled at. And so I'm praying for God to give me a grace-filled attitude to have empathy for where this person's at, that they would be so hurting that that hurt would just boil over like that. Put it in God's hands. Go back with a different attitude. A soft answer turns away wrath. I had a pastor who was fighting with his elders. And it wasn't going well. And my job is to help the pastors. And so we spent a lot of time praying and talking together. Um, he got some help. And finally he had a breakthrough. And he said, how can I be less defensive? And he went back and he went to people where he had issues and he apologized. And reconciliation happened. And he grew as a person and they grew as people and the church grew. Friends, as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, we are blessed with incredible truth. But one of the, there's always a danger. And one of the dangers with us is we are a group of people who want to be right. There's nothing wrong with loving truth. But how do a group of people who want to be right get along with each other? That's where we need the humility of Christ to love each other and show grace. I'm not talking about compromising on what we believe. I'm talking about being kind people. It's nice to be great, but it's great to be nice. And we cannot truly be God's people unless we are nice, because he was. 
And Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples if you love each other. And that's where we need the Holy Spirit and we need a, a new heart. And the angel promised that her descendants would be increased. They would be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. And this is the first time in the Bible that God named a baby before it was born. And I want you to notice in this story, the people who were the religious people aren't the ones that God is coming to. He's coming to someone who's a nobody, who's a slave of a different ethnic origin, not one of God's chosen people. And he names her baby. Could you imagine as a, as a mom to have God name your baby before it's born? Who else got named? You will call his name Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. The name Jesus meant God saves. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. And every time she called her son to dinner or woke him up, she was saying, God hears. And what difference does it make if we really believe that God hears us? What difference does that make? And then he went on to say something really interesting. Speaking of her son, he will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. Ellen White talks about the prenatal influence. Um, and one of the things that I'm fascinated about that I've been reading quite a bit about is um, that trauma can be passed on in the genes. They're finding now, they studied Holocaust survivors, and they're finding that trauma, epigenetics is called, that trauma can be passed on genetically through the generations. And you know what they found? I've read secular authors who say this, and they connect it to the Bible even though they don't believe in the Bible. It passes on for three generations. So this is what, this is what um, the angel was saying is while she was carrying her baby, the trauma she went through would mean that her son was going to be, well, a wild donkey of a man, fighting everybody, a hostile person because of that trauma. We need to be very gracious and, and instead of asking what's wrong with people, ask what happened to them. Be curious and compassionate. And then this, I have no words for this. This is one of the most tender and beautiful things I've ever seen. This slave girl, whose life is unthinkable, who her situation is so bad, she's running into the wilderness where she knows she may die. And God finds her. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. Was that an angel? That was Jesus. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. She gave God a nickname. What a beautiful, tender exchange that she experienced the grace of God and her response was to give God a nickname. Something personal. There are certain names that are only known and spoken inside my family. They're personal. This was a personal name. Maybe in heaven, when we see Hagar with Jesus, maybe she'll still be calling him the God who sees me. What difference does it make if you believe that God sees you? He sees your loneliness, the pain, the fear. He knows your story. 
He sees. He hears. How does that transform your story if God sees and hears? One more place we're going to land. Abram had a son named Isaac who had a son named Jacob. And you remember the famous story how Jacob and his, his mom collaborated to commit fraud with dad. The blessing, the birthright blessing, meant that he was going to get two-thirds of the family state. So it was a significant financial thing. And he would be the, the leader of the family. He would have actual power in the family. And so Isaac had told Jacob, or had told Esau, go hunt, make a special meal, a barbecue, and, and then we'll give you the blessing. And so Rebekah heard. She told Abram, uh, or Jacob to go kill a goat, and she cooked it, and he brought it into his dad. And now, he was smooth-skinned. His brother must have been really hairy because they took goat skins on his arms. His brother must have been a really, really hairy man. And he had on... He had on um, Esau's clothes, so he smelled like a hunter. When I went commercial fishing in Alaska, my clothes always had a certain smell when I got home. And then he, he fed his dad, and then he received the blessing. He committed fraud. His dad was blind. And now his brother is saying he's going to kill him. And so what's interesting, this family was dysfunctional because they didn't really talk about what was going on. Instead, the mom said, you know, I'm worried that, that Jacob's going to marry a local girl. I want him to marry a good Adventist girl. So let's send him to Walla Walla so he can find a good Christian girl there. And so his dad calls him in and says, we don't want you to marry one of the, one of the girls from Squim. We want you to go and marry an Adventist girl. So we're sending you to Walla Walla. But when Isaac was sent to find a wife, they sent caravans and gold, and camels, and the wealth of this family. But he punished Jacob for the fraud because he sent him on foot with no family credit card, no car, and he has to work his way through Walla Walla. So this family didn't name what was really going on. They did it passive-aggressively. And Jacob went, and he met this girl named Rachel, and he fell in love with her, and he made a deal with her dad to work for seven years. That's almost college and medical school. And the seven years went by, and there was a wedding. And the night of the wedding, they didn't have electricity in those days, so the dad was a trickster. He was a con man, just like Jacob was. Jacob tricked his dad, so he got tricked. What goes around comes around. And so Jacob is sent off on his honeymoon, and it's dark. He doesn't know that he has Leah instead of Rachel. He's got the wrong sister. Can you imagine Leah, what that was like for her? To have Jacob hold her tenderly and to dread the coming of the sun when he would see it was her and not her sister and she would see that anger and that rejection on his face. Could you imagine what that was like for her? The next morning he woke up and saw who was there and he was angry. And he and his father-in-law made another deal. He could work, he could marry Rachel in one week, but he had to work another seven years. So he got two for the price of two. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, did you know God knows about your emotional life? Your longings? Your pain? Did you know God sees that 
when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Don't ask me to explain this. I'm just reading the scripture. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery, surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I'm not loved, he gave me this one too, so she named him Simeon. Can you see how this woman is obsessing over the fact she's not loved? This is just a deep pain in her soul. And God sees it, and he keeps enabling her to have children. After she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So she named him Levi. She conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. Do you see a a shift in her thinking? What did my friend do on the worst day of his life? He praised God. He was not happy about the accident, and his wife is still in a lot of pain, and she limps. But he praised God for what had gone right, how God had been present. And God wants to move us from trying to, like Sarai, helping him and making things happen because of our strong will to praising him and trusting him. Are you willing to let him do that in your heart and life? How will that transform if we do that? If we trust him that he is good and we praise him. So she named him Judah, then she stopped having children. So, I lost my mom. And I didn't know that I still needed mothering as a middle-aged man. And there's this wonderful lady named Betty Velez. She's 80 years old, husband Audie, and she's my second mom. I got a text from her this morning. She's a prayer warrior. Where are you preaching today? She prays for me. She's praying for me right now. She'll make me a lemon pie. She just loves me. And I didn't know how much I needed that. There was something in me that I needed a mom. And God saw and he heard. So I can look at some of the deficits in my life and I can look at some of the losses in my life and I can focus on that. Or I can praise God for the evidences that he cares and that he sees me. It's my choice. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 4, it says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, pray with thanksgiving, and God's peace will guard your heart and your mind. There will be supernatural protection over your thinking and your emotions when you pray with thanksgiving. But like Sarai, we often don't want to do that. We want to make things happen and we want to help God instead of trusting him and thanking him. And the world will notice when we thank him because there will be a peace. Acts of the Apostle says that there was a peace on Paul's face that won many people to the gospel because of the peace on his face. And what I'm talking to you about is something I struggle with. I do. And I have to go back to God in prayer 
and ask him to enable me to trust him. One of my heroes, Fred Rogers, he was an ordained minister and he ministered to children. Not only did he do his TV program, he would show up in hospitals where there were sick kids and he had copies of his little puppets and he would leave them with these sick children. Fred was a very, very godly man. I love the Tom Hanks movie that they made about that. If you haven't seen it, it's actually really worth watching. But Fred received, in the 90s, he received a Lifetime Achievement Award. You can go on YouTube and watch it. Fred Rogers Lifetime Achievement Award. And as they call him to the podium and people clap and the music plays and he walks up to the podium and this movie star is praising him and telling him what a great guy he is and all he's done for children. And, and Fred just nods his head. And when he gets the chance to say something, he talked about the people that loved him and who he is. And then he said, I want each one of you to think about who loved you into who you are today. Who believed in you, who prayed for you, who cared about your life. And he said, I want us to take 10 seconds and I want you to close your eyes and I want you to think about who has loved you into who you are today. And the camera pans the audience and there's all these soap opera stars and game show people and talk show people, and they're all heavily made up, and they look beautiful, and they're laughing. But Fred said, I'll watch the time. <laughs> and all of a sudden, they realized, oh, he's serious. So they closed their eyes. And they're thinking about who loved them and who they are. And then you see tears start coming down their faces. I didn't know 10 seconds could be that long. And tears come down their faces as they think of who loved them into who they are today. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you for 10 seconds to think about where God has seen you and heard you and who in this life has he used to love you into who you are today. Close your eyes. I'll watch the time. His eye is on the sparrow. And I know he watches me. I've asked Amanda to sing for us. <laughs> 